Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the transition. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. It's Employee of the Month with Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. If it's your first time tuning in, Employee of the Month is all about work. It's where we spend most of our time and or mental energy. And today's guest, um, Samantha Power, is someone who has devoted her career to human rights activism and is now in government trying to work within the belly of the beast. We spoke about monsters, ones we uh, know and don't, and whether we... um, where I'm going to vote and uh, where she, well, I tried to ask her. Um, We spoke about Hillary. We spoke about the GOP. Um, More importantly, we talked about how difficult it is to possibly be able to think and plan um, when managing a staff and managing both up and down. Uh, A little bit about collateral damage, um, something that the UN and um, politicians in general, particularly ones who are trying to negotiate for peace um, have to think about immunity when should there be diplomatic immunity and uh, she can dance she can really dance I can't imagine a better way to spend the GOP debate than break dancing with Samantha Power and yes that did happen um, I know that you can't see it so you're gonna have to close your eyes and use what's called an imagination um, or you can go to Employee of the Month show at Katie Lazarus as well to see the gifts, to see the videos. Go to Employee of the Month show on YouTube. Um, yeah, you can see it there and you can hear our entire interview in full here. This is the only place you can hear it in full if you weren't at the Joe's Pub show. So it's worth your while. Enjoy. Uh, it's a side of Samantha Power that I don't think you've ever seen before, um, but I think it's really important to remember that everyone we elect is human. Well, not everyone. Actually, this is important to remember that you can elect humans. That's what's exciting about this, or appoint them, or work with them, or for them, or believe in them. Um, as imperfectly perfect as our system is, uh, it's a pretty good system, and I'm grateful that she's a part of it. Here's our interview. Okay, so one of your job perks, I'm just going to put your book out for people who don't know, and at the Strand, it's $9 right now. It's out of print, but it's a worth, worthwhile book. You can still get it. It's a phenomenal book. Um, I, one of your perks, this is why you can't just survive as a writer. This is why you got a day job that has, you I know, health insurance. I can't focus on anything insurance. other than okay, the fact okay, that okay, it I'm is out of print. That. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> you got to talk into your mic when you sit, sound your, uh, talk about your sadness. Okay. <laughs> and your joys. Um, so one of, one of your um, perks, your job perks, is that uh, you get to live in the Waldorf Astoria. And I was curious if you uh, hoard the uh, shampoos, the mini bottle shampoos. Well, it took me some adjusting to when I first got there that my husband and I were sleeping under John Bolton's sheets. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Madeline Albright and, like, probably Warren Harding's. I mean, it, it's... Uh, Does it, it still been... smell like that? No, was no, there... no. But it is, it is just... 
it's a, a State Department institution, and the people who pass through kind of inherit it, and they make it their own a little bit, but it is what it is. It's not. It's fully furnished by the State Department. Oh, wait, so you don't have mini fridges? Uh, mini fridges, no, but... but yeah, sh- Waldorf shampoo bottles, yes. You do? Yes. I had, well, that's good, because now you have kids, and I would fear that they would eat the $19 you know, Snickers bar, and then you'd have to run out to the bodega and replace it. They, they're, we tried room service when we first got there, and it was a, like a $50 burger. <laughs> so Yelp became our go-to. <laughs> your, your, new, your new thing. Um, you hold three jobs simultaneously, as I understand it. You're a member of Obama's cabinet, you're the ambassador to the UN, and you're part of the Security Council within the UN. Have you ever thought about switching and going to the GOP? Because you, you don't even have to do one job there. Oh. Where does one go with that? I, I, uh, I love my jobs. I'm also the mother of a Six and a three-year-old, that's yes. like negotiating with the Russians, so <laughs> like, it's all the same wherever I go. But yeah, I spend, I spend more time in the Security Council with the other 14 members, and particularly with the, permanent, the other permanent five, four of the five, the, the P5, the veto holders, uh, than I spend with um, friends, family, everybody put together. It's, it's intense. Is there ever a time where, because you have... Eight, um a boss and all of these people who you have to both court and negotiate with, is there ever a time where, just looking back on matters you've been working on, where you wish that your opinion could have been heard more? Do you have any examples of of where you sort of did what your boss wanted to do, but you would have done it differently? Yes, and I'm here to talk about all of those tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Just in the nick of time. (laughs) <laughs> to join the GOP ranks of the unemployed. Uh, no, look, I mean, the best thing, the best thing, I, I consider myself very, very blessed because, I mean, in all kinds of ways, but to be in the cabinet, to have the chance to duke it out sometimes with my wonderful colleagues, these other public servants who just, we all come at issues with our own backgrounds and our own perspectives, and to have a voice and to know that. President Obama wants me in the room, and sometimes, you know, I, I don't give up, and I keep after things, and I, th- I think, you know, drive him a little bit crazy uh, sometimes, and yet he wants that voice. He wants to hear uh, about the human rights conditions, about human consequences, you know, the same things that made him call me when he read the out-of-print book uh, beside us. <laughs> Uh, but I get to do that, and even if it, things don't turn out perfectly my way, and it's often because other people bring a perspective that's, you know, they, they, they can see parts of the field that I can't, um, I think that helps actually to then go forth, uh, you know, to other countries. I think it would be very hard to be in the role as UN ambassador representing the United States and just receiving instructions and not having any chance to to shape those instructions and to have the ear of the person uh, giving, giving them. And recall that in Republican administrations, the UN ambassador has not been a member of the yes. cabinet. So they actually report to the assistant secretary for international organizations who reports to the undersecretary, reports to I the just deputy want you secretary, to know, the secretary, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm so admiring. And, and today you had mentioned that you had a bit of a coup, it felt like, with North Korea. I was wondering if you would extrapolate a little bit about that. Um, ah, coup in North Korea. Uh, 
No, that didn't happen today. But uh, no, we, it's pretty significant though. The, um, uh, we introduced today, uh, seven weeks after a very disturbing nuclear test that you might remember in early January, a UN Security Council resolution that we've been negotiating for seven weeks, principally with the Chinese, but also with other members of the council. Uh, and it has in it the most comprehensive sanctions uh, that have been put in place by the UN Security Council in more than 20 years, maybe even ever. And uh, one of the challenges is the regime, you know, and Kim Jong-un specifically, the same guy who hit Sony and, you know, has proven himself reckless in all kinds of ways. Uh, it's not obvious what will ever affect his calculus, but the resolution is so uh, uh, precise in cutting off the various means by which he's acquired know-how, technology, money in order to advance his program that it both hopes over time, of course, to affect his calculus like happened with the Iran sanctions to bring us a peaceful resolution, hopefully, again, to their uh, nuclear program. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> that is a rare thing, right? The the yell factor for the JCPOA. Uh, but we'll take it. Um, I hear those parties go off. Exactly. But on North Korea, even if even if we can't uh, affect the calculus in that manner in the very near term, because it won't be an overnight effect, to actually impede his access to the tools that he has used yeah. to build out this program. So it hasn't gone through yet. We just introduced it. But the response uh, was very positive, and we hope to, to pass it sometime over the weekend or on Monday. Uh, so it would be a very, very significant example of using the tools in the toolbox you know, uh, that exist instead of the kind of Manichaean world that some want to put us in, where it's either you do nothing or you use force, yes. right? There's, there's all these tools, and this is a set of tools that we will seek to put in motion now. Um, let's give it duly deserved. One of the, the many issues that you have been an incredible advocate for is refugees. And, and I, at no time more than ever have we needed that type of advocacy. And I'm speaking um, generally, but also about Syrian refugees here. Now, I know Canada is ahead of us. That's, that's fine. Uh, they're, they're doing 25,000. We're barely doing a third but that's of what they're doing. But we're going to do 10,000 Syrian refugees within the, the year, as I understand, um, to bring them here. And so far, we've settled 841. Yep, we can, you can clap. You can give her a, give her a hand. Um, so far, the U.S. has settled 841, which means by that math, it's going to take us about four years. Or do we need a bigger boat? Um, how, do, how do we get them here faster, in all seriousness? Uh, I think, first of all, that uh, we have to move uh, faster, but we also have to move safely. So the president has made clear that we've got to keep the American people safe and we have to stay true to some of our finest traditions. The things that we're most proudest of are the moments in our history where we've let in Vietnamese boat people and, you know, uh, Hungarian Hungarians fleeing 1956. And, well, and yet, any, any family, anyone here except for Native Americans has come here. Basically, in, in yeah. some fashion, either through immigration or as a refugee. But it's interesting, because I've just been reading up on these past chapters, we remember very romantically letting in yes. hundreds of thousands of people, again, after the Vietnam War. Uh, what we don't remember is that 70% of the American public opposed it at the time. We, we hear from Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio about 
being proud descendants of, of Cuban immigrants and, and refugees, we don't remember that 75% of the American people oppose letting Cuban Americans. So we have, unfortunately, uh, a tendency to look back and be very glad we have done things and then struggle with the politics of it at the time. And that's what President Obama is trying to shape. He's been very outspoken. We're not where we need to be. 10,000 is the floor for 2016, and that's 10,000 Syrians, but 100,000 overall. That's also the floor. But we have to have vetting that is also uh, adequate, not least because, I mean, first and foremost, in order to keep people safe, but also uh, because the program is being scrutinized in the way that it is in a political season. So, you know, we, we know we feel badly about the St. Louis in the Second World War, we, we know we feel badly about moments where we've let, you know, our, our fears overcome reason and, and again, the, the sort of cost-benefit that, that, that government has to do all the time about how to manage risk. Uh, but we just have to plow through it, get through this political season, and get those numbers up as much as we can. President Obama is actually going to host a summit in September. It'll be his last UN General Assembly. Um, but the traffic will not stop uh, for New Yorkers <laughs> in September forevermore. Um, uh, and he's going to host a summit to try to mobilize also other countries to get involved in the resettlement enterprise. So even though, again, our Syrian numbers aren't great and need to become uh, higher, and, and that's absolutely the case, uh, 100,000 you know, also includes Iraqis and Afghans and Eritreans and, and, and others. There are countries that have the ability to resettle people who've never been part of that enterprise. So we're also trying to build the DNA out a little bit because... With 60 million people displaced in the world now as refugees and internally, this burden is so much bigger than even a, a dramatically expanded U.S. program, and even with all that Angela Merkel and others are doing. So we just got to broaden, uh, the, the, broaden the burden sharing, basically, across countries. And again, I agree with your point. Get our, our numbers as, as far up as we can responsibly. Um, one of the – another beautiful thing that you've been working on is um, helping the U.N. now. I'm so – pleased to hear that um, same-sex partners um, are, are getting rights that they were not getting previously at the UN. I wanted to ask, like, how do you deal with um, LGBT issues abroad where something may be acceptable here but not abroad and, and not putting people in danger? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I, I'm One of the reasons I gra- gravitated toward President Obama is that he's and this may also lose the audience, but he's a consequentialist. He's, you know, knows what our values are, what we want to stand for, but is always asking us to ask the question of, will this actually make things better or worse? Now, sometimes uh, you have imperfect information, you can't predict it, and that can be an excuse to do nothing. Uh, but by and large, what we do is we defer to individuals in countries like Uganda or Saudi Arabia and ask, you know, will it help for us to go public or to do something privately? Would it help for us to pull back assistance uh, or to threaten to suspend a military exercise, you know, in order to elevate this issue with your government, to get something decriminalized or to get, you know, just couples out of jail simply for being same-sex couples, and we take our cue from the individuals and their families as best we can, but it's not a, not a perfect science. Here at the UN, though, we can be bolder uh, because these are universal norms. If you read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, okay, that, those weren't the issues, LGBTI issues weren't what people, Eleanor Roosevelt was necessarily thinking about at the time, but these are universal rights, LGBTI rights are, are human rights, and the Secretary General, this Secretary General has actually been... Uh, 
very, very progressive in, in pushing the envelope, including causing a big scandal about two weeks ago, releasing uh, LGBTI stamps with couples on the stamps, UN stamps. I mean, basically, you go to your UN post office, 400,000 stamps, apparently, with couples depicted as couples, LGBTI couples, and the, the, there's a near revolution. I mean, you know, chemical weapons attacks in Syria, you know, doesn't get people that exercise, but you may put some stamps uh, with loving, loving couples on them and, and people going completely crazy, threatening to buy all the stamps. So I was encouraging my staff, particularly my uh, uh, LGBTI staff, to, to buy the stamps because they would be worth much more after a couple of the delegations went and purchased the rest of them. And we tried, tried to get the most of it. Uh, and you just want them to, to stand in line at the post office for hours? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> I just can't, their time. I I cannot believe the things that people choose to get exercised about and the things they choose to let happen. I mean, it just, it just uh, uh, defies reason. But as you mentioned, the Secretary General has extended uh, benefits to same-sex couples for the first time. And that kind of thing, it's, it's modest. Not very, you know, there aren't that many couples that have uh, taken advantage of these benefits. But again, I mentioned earlier the DNA. You get LGBTI rights into the DNA of the UN system, and then the UN rules and regulations go forth, and they're doing development programming yes. and peacekeeping around the world, and the norms find their way, and they get thickened over time, hopefully. Yeah, let's get that. That does okay. deserve. But I just wanted to ask you about diplomatic immunity. Uh, when, when should that be... I don't always agree that we should have diplomatic immunity. Um, one of the things I was thinking about, I mean, there's obviously cholera and sexual assault issues, but I was also thinking about the parking tickets. Uh, this is from uh, a couple years ago, but Egypt, they are, they are, the diplomats are not paying their uh, parking tickets. <laughs> Asking <laughs> hard questions. <laughs> I have a lot on my plate, and... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's terrible, but uh, I was not prepared for this question. Where is my press team? Um, Look, let me pivot, as my press team would urge me to do. This this is a real issue that you put your finger on. We now have almost a pandemic of... of, Stalling, stalling. Okay, a pandemic of peacekeepers not behaving uh, internationally abroad. And the same thing. They have immunity. They're there. But people are counting on them to protect the vulnerable. And instead, they're pillaging and indeed raping. So part of what we are trying to work through now is how... If a country isn't going to prosecute his own soldiers or police for doing things abroad, is there a way to deal with this issue of immunity so that we don't just preach accountability, but the people we send supposedly to be of use to protect people themselves are, are held accountable? So you actually put your finger on a very, a very important issue. Thank you very much. Um, important. How, when managing so many people, both upwards and downwards, how do you find, I mean, just listening to the sort of three jobs that you have, how do you find time to, and including, you know, taking care of young children, when do you find time to sort of think, you know, and and just be on your own? Um, That, it's hugely challenging. I mean, particularly the kids, because, uh, not that my kids are particularly challenging, but that (laughs) when one, they may be, but when one comes home... 
that would be the time that one would decompress and actually develop a more affirmative uh, kind of forward-looking agenda so you're not just living the tyranny of the inbox, which in, yeah. in my job is, is very significant. But then there's a child that comes barreling you over and, you know, says, why is it always Putin, 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 you know, <laughs> which I get a lot. <laughs> Another reason to dislike Putin. <laughs> exactly. No, no, my family is, is in the lead on that for reasons different from those of the Crimean families and Syrian families. So that's, it's challenging. I'm not, uh, weekends, mornings, you know, showers is the answer. Just trying, okay. to, trying to pull away. Yeah, to be able to process, you know, yeah. what, what, instead and of plan, And plan, because it is so easy for the urgent to, to crowd out the important. And it, you know, particularly the kinds of investments we're trying to make where President Obama will hand the baton uh, you know, to somebody with uh, like the LGBTI example, the sexual abuse example. We're trying to change the systems yeah. so that they outlive and outlast us. And, uh, but when you're racing to go you know, give this speech and negotiate this resolution, the, the, the kind of structural reforms uh, you know, can be can be harder to keep front and center. I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I liken it same with with you know medical professionals as well, where you're supposed to be the most awake and do the most important work, and have had zero sleep. Um, I was so impressed with how you dealt with, and I know that um, you know after calling Hillary Clinton a monster, you guys have not only buried the hatchet you guys have worked together many times and um i know you you may not be able to answer this question but i just want to share um because i'm struggling um trying to figure out if i uh vote for the monster i know or the monster i don't and i was just curious um which direction you might be heading in I, no comment. I, I don't. Uh, we national security professionals, we stay removed from the thicket of uh, political warfare that is underway. But Secretary Clinton is uh, amazing, was amazing to work with, and uh, of course is an amazing leader and inspiration for a lot of people around the world as well as here in this country. Um, Yes, she is, and as are and as are you, and I, and I really m- mean this very sincerely. I don't know what you're. I know that you're going to be focusing as much as you can on the job you have right now. Um, but whatever you decide to do, whether it's uh, run for political office here or um, you know secretary general or go back to journalism, whatever it is, I, I know. I'm I getting on, my goddamn book back I in print. On That's what I'm. <laughs> <laughs> At some point. Anything you write, anything you write will become a bestseller. Um, So I'm not worried about it becoming out in print. However, I will say that um, I do want to recommend that people get A Problem from Hell, not just to bring up her Amazon ratings, um, but because it is such a good book, I wish it was mandatory reading for your um, affiliates and colleagues and associates um, on every end of the aisle. Um, I, I... know that you're a phenomenal athlete, um, but because we can't really do anything here with um, basketball, um, I was wondering if we could show off one of um, your less wonky talents. Um, I heard that you're a pretty good dancer. I I had nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, showtime, showtime, showtime. 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 Show
Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Alex Siner and Superfine Audio for putting this together. And go to employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out about who's coming up on the next live shows. You should come anyways. That's the fun of it. There's always surprise guests anyway. Um, there's always just surprises. And it's a real uh, pleasure to do this, even though it is a freaking labor of love, as is most things that are worth it. But this is mine. So uh, thank you for being a part of it. And thank you all for the donations as well. It means a great deal. Uh, all right. I'll talk to you soon. 